It's funny, uh, they, this film has been around for a while. It shot during the pandemic. It um, was premiered at Venice in 21. That's a year and a half ago. It um, opened theatrically here, very limited, obviously, um, in February. And it only just started streaming about a month ago. Yeah. And in, and for people listening, you don't know what we're talking about. We're talking about a French movie called Full Time, yeah. which I really loved. And I got totally by surprise because Amazon recommended it to me. You'll uh-huh. really like this movie, it said. And I looked at the description. And I thought, oh, it sounds good. Mm-hmm. A thriller just on some single mother's everyday life. And I didn't know it was French. And I said, okay, fine. I'll rent it. And then it's French. And I'm like, oh, no. Because I don't really. What's so bad about reading subtitles? It's not bad. It's just that sometimes when I'm working, I like to put a movie on and I like to do work and watch the movie at the same time. And uh-huh. I don't like to just sit there and stay, you know. So okay. I didn't want to watch it. But from the minute one, this thing totally had my attention all the way mm-hmm. through. And uh, and I agree with you that uh, she's she's making things harder on herself than need be. But I think that might be the point. Maybe. Well, let me let me repeat the point that did not get uh, recorded, which is that it's it's a the town where she lives is based upon a town where the director once lived, and it's uh, spelled C O L L E M I E R S. I think it's pronounced Colimel, and it's a uh, hundred and fifty-seven kilometers, or roughly a hundred miles from Paris. Yeah. It's like a, a ninety-minute ride minimally. And that is absolutely brutal on top. I mean, as we know, well, you certainly know, and I have a pretty good idea of it because I, I watched the kids a lot when they were younger, just under the best of circumstances, raising kids or, you know, seeing to their daily routine and everything else is very, very demanding. It really is draining. I mean, you're, you just, you know, you're exhausted at the end of the day. Uh, and it's it's just all all but impossible what she goes through because of this horrible train strike which is what it complicates her life so um so brutally uh and the apparently there was a, a real train strike that uh, the director suffered through back in 95 so that's oh. like 25 years ago who's the director again eric gravel g-r-a-v-e-l oh. well he's very talented <laughs> I mean, it's like yeah i was watching it thinking man we do not get movies like this anymore here like yeah. we don't get that level of skill of the editing or her, her I mean, character victor, victor seguin seguin is the cinematographer and especially the editor uh whose oh, name God. is mathilde, mathilde van de mortel she's magnificent it's like a born identity movie it's a born movie that it's, is like the best edit- the editing is partly what kept me watching the movie was just watching the editing it was so beautifully done yeah. Um. You know, and you take something as mundane as just a woman trying to get to work, and you turn it into this thing that's so exciting and interesting. Yeah. And um. And I agree with you on all the criticisms you have of it, but I feel like movies suck so bad right now that like this movie was, you know, maybe at a different time and place it wouldn't have even stood out, but it stands mm-hmm. out because we just don't get movies like this anymore. You know, movies that just tell a story you know, about a character that you follow and you, you understand their daily life of a working class person, you know, Uh it's not about sexism. It's not about identity. It's not about sexual harassment or rape or anything. like. In fact, it was surprising that not one of those encounters, well, she had one guy like try to hit on her, but 
Not one of those hitchhikers. No, he didn't hit on her. He's he's just nice to her. She hits on him, remember? No, no, the other guy when she's trying to get the hotel and the guy says... Oh, yeah. that guy. Well, he's, yeah. That's the yeah. only time where she even gets remotely mm-hmm. harassed. But, you know, if this was made in America, she would have gotten raped and then pregnant and then gotten an abortion. Yes, there have to be the predatory white males <laughs> yeah. making their life miserable. Yes. But it wasn't that. She was just a kind of a complex character who had no business having two kids that she couldn't take care of, really, because... But, you know, in, in, in language of the French, she obviously had been married and had a pretty steady life, and then the guy left, and so she was left with these two kids. Um, so And I'm, it's kind of like gives you a short thrift as far as the husband's situation he's he, you know he doesn't get in touch with her and give her the money that she needs the alimony that she needs on a timely basis which suggests that like i'm sure many divorced parents he's got a new affair going and he's putting a lot of money into the new thing and it's it's pretty horrible though when you consider what she has to shoulder on a daily basis and he's god knows what he's doing but they don't really tell you anything other than he's gallivanting off somewhere and he calls occasionally say sorry i'm a little busy or i'll I'll take care of it don't worry Yeah, but isn't it interesting how she's made out to be a human like not even somebody who's the perfect mother you know because she says like can you please just take them for the holidays or, you know, I not really a stay at home mom or, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's not made out like if it was here, you know, that they would never give her that level of complexity. Yeah. Of just like, no, I'm, I'm going to be a non-perfect person, which is what mm-hmm. she is, you know? Um, I, and I loved all the stuff in the hotel. Like to me, that's just so fascinating. The five-star hotel, you know, cleaning the, cleaning the, the rooms and, uh, it's had a little upstairs downstairs thing going on with the maids, you know. Yeah, the maid of color doesn't like her and resents that she's uh, busy and that she's having a difficult time commuting. And uh, you have to say, you want to say to that maid, you know, can you can you be you know be a little more compassionate? It's <laughs> difficult say, for everybody, and, and you everybody's say, like being a shit to each other. You want to say to her, "Aren't you watching this movie? <laughs> like, don't you know what's going on?" <laughs> but i know but i I just i loved all of that i i found that if they kept if you keep a movie going like that people don't really have time to bog down and think about it too much she's Mm -hmm. just trying to get there and i just you know i really liked how suspenseful it was is she gonna get the job does is is she gonna like that boyfriend guy are they gonna get together and of course not and and I love the shot of him just walking away with his son, and she's so embarrassed. Like, how brilliant. Oh. Yeah, well, she, she expresses uh, a brief sexual interest. She doesn't make a pathetic play out of it, but she does. Uh, she gives him a kiss impulsively. Um, you know, if I were he, I was just thinking uh, maybe that's something I was not particularly interested in. But I wouldn't just kind of look at her and go, oh, well, I'm leaving. You know, that was kind <laughs> of heartless also, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we, even you know, I mean, I'd be at least flattered a little bit, you know, and 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 maybe just talk to her or something. But God. somebody somebody lays their their heart and soul on on the on the line, and they say, "I like you." I'm not going to just blow them off. I'm going to try and eat, let them down easy if I'm not particularly interested. You know, he seemed he seemed genuinely offended that she tried to kiss him. But here's the thing is, is if that was made today in America, you'd get all these agonizing essays about white women and, uh, you know, yeah. how, how presumptuous they are that they can just kiss the black man. You know that mm. that's what you get. 
He's a pretty look, good-looking guy, though. Yeah. I don't have a profound distaste for her kissing him. I just thought she was impetuous, but that happens. You know, sometimes they do get impetuous. Well, you could tell she liked him from the first moment because he was so nice to her. And, you mm-hmm. know, here he is fixing her heater or whatever. It's like... Yeah, he's handy. There's nothing like that. Women yeah, love that. In yeah. that situation, especially where she feels so desperate, I could see how to her mm-hmm. it would be like, this guy is the answer to all my problems right now. You know, this is what I need. But mm-hmm. um, And he was cute. So she assumed that he liked her and that he wasn't just helping her to be nice. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But obviously not. <laughs> anyway, the most, perhaps the most, one of the most interesting things for me anyway is is the very end. I won't uh, spoil it for anybody, but basically uh, it's, it's nothing but with bad news and more and more bad luck and it's getting worse and worse. And you think she's basically going to sink. You know, it's just it doesn't seem to be. Well, thank goodness at the very end it turns. I won't say how, but uh, you're left with this feeling that, you know, she's like weeping out of relief that she is this good thing has happened. And you feel like relieved for her, of course, but it feels so there's a there's a feeling underneath, which is kind of like the ending of The Graduate. You're supposed to feel really great about that. But there's also that underlying tension, like they don't really know each other. They're not even talking yeah, exactly. to each other. Uh-huh, exactly. And that's yeah. what I felt at the end of this. Like, I was hoping that she, that it would go a different way, that she would have realized something about her life and understood that she needed to slow down. And not try to do so much and that it wasn't good for her or her kids. Um, But she's obviously not the kind of person who can do that, who can slow down, who, you know, this is what she wants out of life. Plus, she has to support her kids. You know, you can't just say, I'm not going to support my kids anymore, right? Um, I can't say that. But but you know that with the long commute and everything else, it's probably going to, she's probably going to have trouble with her new job. But you what know. what the greatest and, 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 scene in that movie, which was just such brilliant filmmaking, it's ridiculous. Like we just, they don't make movies like this in America, I'm sorry to say. And I know your readers, if anybody's listening to this, will just get mad about that. But it's true that they have a, you know, just one shot of her resume and she's, she's fixing it on the little typewriter thing or whatever it is, computer. And mm-hmm. she's, she's erasing all of her accomplishments. So that she can try to get a job at like a supermarket or something. And her accomplishment. I've forgotten that. Oh, I didn't see that. So she, again, yeah, you're saying towards the end, she's looking for any job. Any that job. She can just, and and yeah. her accomplishments are, are really impressive. You know, her, yep. she has like a, I don't know, like some kind of a master's in biology or something like that. Like she's really. Mm-hmm. And so you could understand, well, okay, so she wanted something different for her life. You know, she wanted mm-hmm. something different for her life. And um, and so I, I definitely get that. That's where he was going with this. My yeah. own personal feelings is I've been there. You know, I was a before I met David Carr, I mm-hmm. was working as a janitor and I had, you know, a job at my daughter's school as a k- kindergarten aide mm-hmm. and we were dead ass broke. I mean, I was so broke I couldn't even afford money for her tooth fairy. I knew you at that time, uh, after that, or after that time. Why do you say David Carr is the big change in your life? Well, you, you were you were doing okay. No, I You're, wasn't. You... I wasn't making huh. any money. No, David Carr was the one who, who told me to stop uh, using David Poland to sell ads. I was, I was going through David Poland. He was selling ads to the studio, and I was just a, oh, I see. an extra that he would throw in. What was that year? I was like around 200, 206, 06. 
Oh, okay. And he told me, you know what? It's time for you to go out on your own and start selling ads. And I did it. And then I started mm -hmm. making real money. And it yeah. was a big, big deal for me. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I understand this lady's, uh, mm. I've been mm. there. I've been there. So, mm. you know, I know how she felt. So I, I could really relate to it. And I was appreciative that someone made a movie like that. But more than anything that it was about, it's just really fun to watch that kind of mm -hmm. filmmaking, you know. Mm. Well, there's a, to contrast with um, with hard times, not hard full time, time, full time, full time. That's stupidest title. Uh, there are two completely uh, disappointing cookie cutter movies that we have seen, which involve uh, 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 kind of woke female characters, or at least a woke take on on, on strong female characters. Oh. The first, the first one, they're, they're two miniseries. Uh, and they're both remakes. And the first remake is a Netflix thing that is currently playing called Obsession, which is based upon uh, the uh, book that was written in 90, I believe it was called. Uh, uh, um, why did I just blank on the name of it? Um, Damage. Damage. And then also the Louis Mal film, which came out in 92, I believe. Um, uh, basically, it was the same title. And that was, uh, we both have agreed that that's an exquisite film. Mm. It's so perfectly made, so full of unarticulated, but very easy to understand feeling, passion that overwhelms. And it's about a self-destructive affair between a 50-ish uh, guy and his son's fiance, who's in her late 20s, I guess, something like that. And um, if anybody has not seen Damage, they're highly recommended it is highly recommended that they see it. It's just brilliant. Mm. <clears throat> I only saw the first episode of the remake, which is um, basically they decided to kind of woke it up. They, there was a d damage was uh, and is a, um, a film about a, a woman who's um, who's not very. Who's kind of she's got a strange, impractical kind of mad, passionate streak in her. And uh, ditto uh, the Jeremy Irons character, the older guy, and it uh, it's it's crazy and it's obviously self-destructive from the get-go, but uh, um, it's compelling in the Louis Mal film because you um, it, it's hard, impossible not to feel um, uh, intrigued and and interested in these two characters, again played by Juliette Binoche and, uh, and Jeremy Irons. The characters that play the same characters in the remake are completely uninteresting. And they decided to the the woman who um, kind of rewrote it, uh, they decided to make uh, the character of Alex, who was famously played by Glenn Close in the original 1987 version, um, sympathetic, um, misunderstood, uh, you know, not a perfect woman, but but not a femme fatale like she was in the 87 version mm. uh, because they want to do the the woke thing where it's you know it's the it's the white guy's fault it's the michael mm -hmm. douglas's character's fault and and she's not blameless but she's you know kind of struggling and 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 was damaged by her own father in, in her youth so basically the idea is to apply the the, the generic um you know the bad guy the white guy is the bad guy thing right mm. Is that your feeling? Is that your impression? Well, I watched the whole thing, the whole thing. So I, I, you know, um, 
You like the whole thing? Of no, Greg, I, I you know, watched it. I watched it. You didn't watch yeah. it, so you don't know how. Oh, no, it I didn't. I didn't. But it's obvious what it is. You don't have to see what a film is doing at each and every step of the way to understand that it's bullshit. I didn't. No, but you should have watched the last episode because that's where they really changed the plot from the original movie. And in fact, I don't know if I want to talk about this because it might spoil things for people. But. Um, well, you're talking about the daughter, right? There's a there's a daughter thing where the young girl who's whatever five in the in the in the in the first stage of the film, she's got a, a hang up about um, older white men being predatory and and cruel and exploitive, right? Isn't that what you're talking about? We're talking about obsession, right? Yes, we are. Obsession um, is the remake. Oh, wait a minute. I just I just confused the two. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me. Forgive me. I made a mistake. Obsession, yes. So you saw the fourth, and and it's she goes into um, she's not dead at the end, right? Which is what happens in. Uh... No, no, no. I don't know if okay. So spoiler alert for anybody who might be listening to this and cares. It's not that big of a deal if you've seen the original. You know how it ends. She doesn't die. the bo- The boyfriend dies, and okay. she and she leaves. Okay. So in the Louis Mal version. It's which is so good and and because it was such a mysterious movie and because the characters were so perplexing, mm-hmm. I kept watching it over and over again to try to understand it. Right? To You're try talking to, about the new version. I'm talking about, right now. I'm talking about Damage, the original movie. I'm saying why did I go back and watch that movie so many times? Other oh yeah, than, me too. Other than the fact that I loved the mood of it, I loved the affair, I loved the relationship between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was confused and perplexed by it as a young woman. I was like, why would this lady leave? You know, why was she there? What What was it that drew her to Jeremy Irons? Because when they first mm-hmm. meet each other, they exchange a look. And in that look, mm-hmm. all of the information is imparted to each other. She sees in him something she wants. He sees in her something he wants. Mm. And that's all that they need to do is just look at each other. And it leads to this whole thing where they finally, they are to each other absolute dream lovers. And mm-hmm. so they have to hide away so they can steal time. He becomes completely obsessed with her. She finally relents because she's trying to go on and have this normal life with his son. He, uh, She finally relents and gives him a key to this flat that she rents for the two mm-hmm. of them. And, this uh, is after they had broken off. Remember, they try to break it off. Yeah, they try to break it off, and he's too. Yeah. He can't handle it. So right, right. she comes to him, and she gives him the key. And for him, it's like the greatest thing that ever happened. Mm-hmm. And so they're having this amazing sex <laughs> sex scene at the end. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing, where they're both smiling, and they're both in absolute eternal bliss. The son opens the door, shocked, and sees his father sleeping with yeah. his fiance. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he stumbles backward and he falls off the railings and he kills himself. And then Jeremy Irons famously runs down the stairs naked yeah. and cradles his son in his arms. And Juliette Binoche has her clothes on and she just very coldly walks out of the building. And, and the she's idea, gone. She, and she's there's gone. never any contact with him. And she's gone. Time. And so the idea is she's damaged. She's a damaged person. And she keeps going into people's lives and hurting mm. them because, as she says in the movie, damaged people survive. That's why you need to stay away from us because damaged people will always survive. So in the series, they change it and they redeem her in a really disgusting, not disgusting, but disappointing. (laughs) (laughs) So basically what happens is Jeremy Irons is, or the the guy is a different kind of character than Jeremy Irons for, they don't, the wife isn't as good as Miranda Richardson. She's fine, but she's not Mm. that good. 
And um, and the Juliette Binoche character, played by Charlie something or other. Can't remember her last name. Yeah, I remember the Charlie part. Charlie. <laughs> so they catch up with her and she's on vacation and, and where they were supposed to go on their honeymoon. And she's she's about to hit on some other guy and his wife shows up. So they don't go off. And then, of course, she sees the husband. Mm. And, she's, and she says, you know, and he says, you know, he basically is saying, let's just forget it and go on with our lives. I can't leave you. And she says... We can't be together after what happened, you know, and and she has the one she's the one with the conscience and walks away from him. Oh, brother. And then you see her with her mother and mm. her mother's like she's talking about her brother and her mother says, uh, you know, her mother says something about how in love they were. And she said, you knew. And the mother says, of course, I knew. And she said, well, why didn't you protect me? Why didn't you save me? How could you let that happen to me? I was a child. This is disgusting. <laughs> the way you're describing it, she, she says to her, you knew about my, yes. me and my brother. Yes. Oh, my God. And she says, I was a child and you couldn't protect me. So basically what they've done with this and with Fatal Attraction, which I haven't seen, but I've heard mm. about, is that they, they have redeemed the crazy bitch. That's right. They've just decided that there's to, to be no more crazy bitches in these old 80s movies. They're going to redo them right. to redeem the women and to put the blame where it squarely belongs <laughs> mm-hmm. on the shoulders of the men, the terrible, yep. terrible men. That's right. So there's so much um, that is uh, uh, we've we've spoken about the scene in the in the Louis Mal version which they first met and there is really I mean there's nothing worse than unnecessary dialogue and they have almost no dialogue they're just look at each other and that's all you need it's, yeah it's completely uh, understandable from the viewer's point there's a moment when he is at the very beginning before he's even uh, met her and he comes home and has a drink and says hello to his wife and they chat in the kitchen and he goes uh, into the living room and he puts his drink down and he looks around the room and it's it's not elaborated upon but you can see this look of utter disappointment and boredom and and fatigue that he he feels nothing for this comfortable life that he has he just, you know, he, he can see it in, in just a single shot as Jeremy Irons is looking around the room. Mm. And that that's all you need. And it's uh, and you understand on some level why he's susceptible to crazy passion, because it's something that makes him feel alive, I guess. You know? But it's really brilliant. It's just the, the film is full of brilliant moments like that. I, I, I you saw four and one. I, I did, I've only seen one, but um I take it you did not see the scene in which the mother of um, of uh, Charlie's uh, character uh, tells the older lover that she can. It's obvious that she knows of what's going on. I, I yeah, guess yeah, no, I watched the whole thing. I know the whole thing. Oh, sorry. Okay. okay. I told you to watch the last episode yes, so you could see. Sorry. But no, I watched the whole thing. It's very different, and um, what they turned it into essentially was a movie about a guy who's obsessed. With mm-hmm. a woman, a yeah. woman who's very damaged because of incest with her brother, or how they would want you to say, raped by her brother. Yeah. Um, whereas in the first movie, and I guess in the book, I've never read it, but mm-hmm. in the first movie, you don't you you you, you imagine that there might have been something that happened with her brother, but that's not specific. They never say what it is. 
and you don't know for sure what what made her like this for all you the, the vibe i got was the brother was the innocent one and she was the one who caused him pain okay um but i don't know uh, mm. they do they just hint at it in um in the first movie but she's a femme fatale that's her mm-hmm. role in life, right? Same with Alex Forrest and Fatal Attraction. These are femme fatales. That's why they are crazy bitches. Mm-hmm. And um, and Julia Binoche is, is this, she's a black leather with dark black, short, severe hair. Mm-hmm. And she's contrasted with Jeremy Irons' wife, who's played by uh, Miranda Richardson. Yes, Tony Richardson's daughter. Who's very soft and blonde and you know, gentle and warm, totally different from, and so you could, you could understand how he could be drawn into somebody totally different from his wife. Mm-hmm. And in the new one, they're kind of the same type, you know, they, they're brown haired women with sort of curly hair, mm-hmm. kind of the same body type. There's no contrasting them. You know? Except the director horribly has told uh, Charlie, the actress to act alluring, to look at him in a, in an alluring uh, come hither uh, sultry vixen way and it's terrible that they yeah. try to explicitly make it all vivid for the for the viewer i mean there's a terrible moment when he has uh spoken to her in a room off to the side at a party they're at and he's bothered by the erotic current and he takes the drink in his hand and throws it all down as if to anesthetize himself it's a <laughs> terrible moment there's also a thing where he's um you know, he's working out uh, in a club and and he's also been stirred and bothered by her. And so I forget if he's on the phone with her or something has oh. happened. And he starts uh, pumping away on the exercycle, exor- okay, <laughs> you know. That's nothing like... compared to when he goes to the hotel room after mm-hmm. Charlie and his son have been there. Yeah. And like an animal, he sniffs around on the bed to find her. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Oh, to find her scent on a oh, pillow. And God. he starts like mouthing the pillow and then starts like humping the bed as he smells this pillow in this. Like he's acting like a dog. In this. Oh, my God. Okay. All right. It's just, it's, you know, it's it's really just a difference between uh, a movie, the Louis Malle film, oh. the first rate filmmaker who, who really has thought it through and knows what he's doing. And these people are just second rate people. They're just not talented enough to bring something like this off. They can shoot it and they can they can tell themselves they're conveying the right things, but they're not. They're not. They, they lack, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, grade A talent talent genius level talent whatever you want to say that louis mal had but he was really a superb filmmaker and the scene where they they first meet and they see each other you're as an audience member you don't know that they're about to have an affair you don't know that that's what exchanged between them you just see that they have this connection that's what's so fascinating about it in the in the series she came on to him in a way that nobody would ever miss that she she was like a hooker she could come on to any guy and they would know immediately Mm -hmm. this woman wants to have sex with me but in the Louis Mal right. version, that's not what exchanges between them. She looks up at him and he looks down at her and whatever it is that's happening between them is all in the eyes. And mm-hmm. it's it's some kind of language that no one else can hear except the two of them. That's what's so fascinating about yeah. it. So when they finally do exactly. come together, you, you start unraveling the puzzle of, and he, you know, even he kind of doesn't understand what's happening to him. 
You know, yeah. like he, he's he's sort of a victim of it. And <laughs> that's probably what they didn't like about it. You know, that, the, the, oh, God, we dare make the man the victim, you know. Hmm. Uh, well, victim of his own craziness, his own foolishness. He, he tries to explain later in the Louis Malle film that he went through most of his life thinking that you can control your self. You can you can exert control over your life. Mm. And he, what he discovered, he doesn't say by meeting Julia Pinoche, but he, he says, what I didn't realize is he can't really control it. Yeah, and the thing was, was that he had a really good relationship with his son and with his family. And so the ending mm-hmm. felt really tragic. And the new one, you don't really see the relationship so much between the dad and the son. He he just comes off as a very cold. Um, he's the kind of guy from that show that would have been sleeping around all this time on his wife because of the way he acts. Like the other guy, Jeremy Irons, you got the feeling that he was a good man. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this was just a thing that he couldn't control that happened to him. Um, as opposed to a guy who, like that guy, was so obsessed with sex that he just didn't care about anybody else in his life, which is how it comes off. Yeah. There's a, there's that moment where they start him off. He's not a politician in the Netflix version. He's a brilliant surgeon who has just, uh, presided over the separation of two twins. Right. And he's actually, they actually applaud him in the operating room. It was so on the nose and so awful, you know. Yay, you did it. You're a genius. We love you. Yeah, yeah they, so they, lost, they lost all the dramatic tension of the first uh, one. And so uh, we don't, mm. neither of us has seen the fail attraction, so we don't really know. Uh, did you say you saw one episode of it? I have spoken to a to a gentleman who is a first rate journalist whom I trust entirely. Uh, his and and he has uh, told me the basic beats and what happens and what doesn't happen, and which made a variety headline, which I pointed out today, all the funnier, all the more bizarre, which is that it was shown at a festival that's going on in Cannes right now, and a variety reporter spoke to. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm blanking on her name, but she's a uh, pretty efficient, pretty well-known um, uh, uh, director. This is not uh, and... Joey Soloway, is it? Is that that's I'm... right. That's right. Yes. Joey and she says, "What I'm looking forward to, and let's be clear about this: we're all waiting for the boiled bunny scene. We're, we're waiting for the rabbit, right? Right. Uh, and that's what that's what's got me going." Among you know, I haven't seen it yet, but that's what I'm looking forward to, and that's according to a journalist who I spoke to. That's precisely one of the things that is not included because that's too crazy for Alex to do. That would diminish her appeal, to make her less uh, sympathetic. So they've cut out the bunny. I, I also hear that they material. don't. There's a spoiler too. I have heard that the ending isn't the same as the original. Remember, there are two endings to the original. You, you recall that, right? The first one that she commits suicide because she's so bereft and distraught about her, her life and, and she winds up listening to Madame Butterfly as she slits her throat. Audiences hated that version. They absolutely gave it a serious thumbs down uh, when they showed it in test version. And so they went back and shot the ending that we all know, which is 
Crazy Alex invades the home, the suburban home of Michael Douglas and Ann Archer, and Ann Archer freaks out and winds up shooting Alex with a pistol and killing her. And the audience was delighted by that ending, and that's why they went with it. I just watched Fatal Attraction, the movie, just a few days ago, and I was struck by something like, you know, obviously you look at these movies through the lens of today, but do you think that it was realistic that after she committed, tried to commit suicide and she had bandages on her wrist that he would just leave her like <laughs> with the, the, I mean, I don't think in this day and age, if someone attempted suicide, that you would just wrap up their wrists and walk away. Like, I, well, that I, was early. Remember, she she threatens. She's very. No, but I mean, unhappy. anybody that you know right now, any person that you know, if they attempted suicide, wouldn't they? There's no way you would just leave them there. Well, what's he going to do? He can't. He, they're only there for a weekend. This is on Sunday for the Mad Weekend. His his wife is coming back with the kid. He can't stay with her. He no, no, he'd have choice. to call. A, he'd have to have her. She'd have to go to the hospital. Right. That's what I mean. Is is they wouldn't. No person today and would leave a woman who just slit her wrists with medical attention that he tended to to himself like that would mm -hmm. never happen they would call an ambulance and she would be in the emergency room he might split and not be there but she would need medical attention i would think so but then again if you want to look at from a hard view of a person who's cheating on his wife and doesn't want to get caught he wouldn't want to, uh, uh, he would want to be very careful about whatever he did in the aftermath. He wouldn't want, you know, bills from hospitals and, you know. He would no, I, be, I get that. You know. I, and I never, I've seen this movie many, many times and it never occurred to me until this last time I watched it. And I thought, that's weird. Mm. I just, I don't know if I buy that. But, mm. um, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, it is what it is, this, this movie. But if they make her a sympathetic character and a martyr, that's going to suck because she is the greatest crazy bitch that ever was. You know, she's, mm -hmm. she's the number one. And yeah. so they can't take that away. You know, she's famous for saying, I won't be ignored, Dan. Actually, they have that line. And you'll see that in the trailer. She says, I will not be ignored. Yeah, but so I they, hear they've held on to that. She's not as crazy, though, right? Uh, from what I understand, there is a. Uh, she doesn't uh, die and she has a sense of she you know she she kind of heals or tries to heal herself and there's this whole thing that reiterates that that dan the 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 white guy lover the cheating lover is uh is guilty for for creating more more anguish with his daughter who has a problem has a kind of a hang up or a neurosis about guys like him when she gets to be in her 20s that's what i understand is is what happens it goes all the way up that far yes it goes is it, it goes 15 years into the future and and what happened to alex is she dead i don't know for a fact but i don't i wasn't told that she dies and i'm i was told that she uh i i shouldn't say anything i don't know i don't know who i didn't I, I didn't ask in so many words who Did directed she... who directed this abomination <laughs> let's see it's a woman. Who oh, of course. Me. Oh, God, no. And she said, and she said in Ken that I'm, you know, this is, this is, uh, you know, we're going into why did they really do this? We kind of, you know, went deeper than the 1987 film, which uh. is a way of saying we decided to to woke it, woke it up, and and do, you know, my view version of it. But here's something that really uh, struck me in the Variety story. Uh, this is the Variety reporter. She says that many audience members 
Um, I guess she talked to several people on the red carpet, what they call the pink carpet. Uh, many audience members, especially younger, you know, Zoomers and I guess millennials, admitted they had never seen and or even heard about the, the 1987 version. Which I'm, I find that stunning. If you're, uh, you're kind of involved in the, in the film industry to some extent, and you're, and you're seeing it uh, at, at the Cannes Palais, the Festival's Lumiere Auditorium, and you know this isn't the the Cannes Film Festival; it's like an adjacent one. And to not even have heard a Fatal Attraction, how, how, um, how closed off, how myopic is your worldview if you haven't even heard of something like that? Well, I got. I, I mean, my, films, I certainly know? showed it to my daughter. Are you kidding? We joke about it all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's a great movie about a great crazy bitch. Like that. Mm-hmm. That's what's great about it. That's what sells it, you know. And I yeah. always tell my daughter how funny it is, and she laughs right along, you know. And, and mm-hmm. I, of course, I explain to her, you know, as she's watching these movies, I always explain to her, like, scent of a woman or whatever it is. Things were different then. Mm-hmm. This is how, you know, how we thought back then. And, and she's fine with it. She can survive it. So, mm-hmm. can you think of any movies that, like, let's say, let's take a movie from the old days that was remade, like uh, Holiday Inn, which was remade um, in a color version in the 50s, I think. The one with it was the- called, are you talking about The Holiday, the Nancy Myers film? No, no, or- I'm talking about from way back when there was a Fred Astaire movie called Holiday Inn with Fred Astaire and Bing That's Crosby. Right. And then they yeah. remade it. They remade it as something else later uh, in color. I don't know the remake. They say I'm just wondering. No, no, the holiday, the holiday in one with was in Vista Vision, and it was with Bing Crosby and I believe was it Danny Kaye or somebody who's the uh, other guy? No, the Fred Astaire one was Bing Crosby, and then the remake was maybe Bing Crosby and Danny Kaye. Okay, I'm just uh, asking. Yeah, there was a there hmm. was a holiday in because Fred Astaire was like my favorite when I was a kid. Mm-hmm, I know yeah. all the Fred Astaire movies, so mm-hmm. I I knew holiday and i used to watch it all the time of course you could never watch it now because it has it has fred astaire dressed up as a as a black person like <laughs> and doing like a, a black face mm. dance <laughs> and it has like a black maid and everything so it's very not politically correct but um mm. but it's great i mean the songs are great and everything but but they remade it again later colored and i'm trying to remember what the name of it was so anyway was it my different? Yeah, my point is, mm. did they change it to make it more acceptable to um, audiences? You know, let me let me type in remake Holiday Inn. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh, no, that's not it. Um, I know I'm not thinking of uh, high society. Uh, well, that was remade. That was the Philadelphia story in 1940. Oh, okay. So and it was remade 16 years later. Uh, and I forget who the director was. Was it George Cukor or somebody? No, Cukor was the 1940 version. Anyway, I can't remember, but that was uh, that was not a significantly different. All they did basically was add music. There was Louis Armstrong oh, well, and, so, and songs. And that was when Grace Kelly had an affair with... Uh, That's right. Bing Crosby and said he was yep. he was a hottie in bed or something like that. <laughs> White Christmas. White Christmas is the name of the remake. White Christmas. 
Okay. Um, so my question is, the only thing I'm, I know mm. that they remake these movies, like A Star is Born and this one and High Society and everything. So do they do what we mm. do now? Did they woke up, you know, did they change the context of them? Danny Kaye and Bing Crosby and White Christmas. And I, listen, Bing Crosby mm. was hugely popular. I, I just find that so funny. He was he was ridiculously popular in movies, and he he was a box office draw. Bing Crosby, I just never. He really thought... did matter. He really resonated with the culture back in the forties. His his uh, song of White Christmas was a huge standard that is still to this day. Uh, people are familiar with it. Probably more familiar with it than younger audiences are with Fatal Fraction. But he <laughs> he really was. He, he mattered. Bing Crosby. I know. Nobody knows who he is now. Nobody, nobody knows who he complete. is. And they just don't know what a big deal he was. And that, like, of all yeah. the men that Grace Kelly slept with, he was the one that stood out. <laughs> like, what? I mean, it's just so funny to me, because I never thought he was all that, all that, you know, but he was huge. The pop, when he did Going My Way, you know, one Best Picture, and it was a huge box office success. And there was something mm-hmm. about him that took America through World War II, through the trauma of World War II. I think that's what connected them to him somehow. Um, anyway, so my point is, did they change the context of movies to fix them the way that they do now? I think today is uh, entirely unique in its own thing because we're going, unfortunately, through a cultural, radical cultural revolution amongst the, the wokesters in the cities and there's a in the liberal end of the cities. And it's uh it's a it's very much a revision of everything. And as you know, their whole idea behind uh pretty much everything that is remade, you know, everything that is if they if they go back into history, they have to have idealized representations of the culture from now represented in, in history. Uh there's a, a Netflix documentary about Cleopatra. Uh, and that is, of course, has been, um, 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 you know, modernized and, and woke so that the Cleopatra is now a, a woman of color right. and not a Greek woman from, I mean, Cleopatra was born in Greece and she wasn't really Egyptian, but there wasn't really a, uh, you know, a, a black thing going on in Egypt as far as the representations of art from that period are known. So it's it's just, it's all this bullshit that they insist on doing and uh and you can't stop them presentism is is uh, relentless so there's really nothing you can't argue about it but that's it's radical i mean everything is is like we're going to fix the past as well as fix the present yeah i'm going to send you this video i found because i'm i'm writing this thing right now about twitter and and uh i i had to you know whenever i'm searching through our for our history whether it's on Google or YouTube or whatever, I have to go back before 2016 to find any kind of reasonable coverage, you know, because after 2016, everything changed so dramatically that you can't find anything that doesn't somehow relate to current politics. But if you go back before that, you can find more honest, like Jerry Seinfeld talking about political correctness, for instance, or, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, People talking about because I was looking for the origins of political correctness, and I found this video from 2011, which was incredible. I'll send it to you, mm-hmm. and it's all about Marxism and the Frankfurt School, and and they're talking about the origins of critical race theory and how when the Frankfurt School moved here in the 50s, um, I mean during Hitler they couldn't be in Germany, so they had to leave, 
And they mm-hmm. came here and they started their critical theory stuff here. And it was starting to matricul- matriculate onto college campuses. And they showed footage from back then. And they showed the protesters sounding and looking exactly like they do today. Uh, talking about exactly the same things. Even They even had sensitivity readers and stuff like that back then. So hmm. I, I was kind of blown away by that video. Because I was like, this was made in 2011. And this guy was talking about everything that's happening right now in our culture. So I was wondering how it was that it became something that was existing, but it was on college campuses and it was kind of fringe to becoming the status quo. Well, as you recall, uh, you pointed this out to me and I've seen it on my own, that Cisco and Ebert uh, 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 segment in which they talked about the, uh, the terror, the awfulness of political correctness back in the 90s. This is 95, 96, and uh, they're both deriding it. And uh, and I I wrote earlier today about how Chuck Keston was talking about the whole thing in 97. So you're saying 2011 was kind of reaching back, but it really was something that began. No, no, in, it, the, the, the video talks about it going way back farther than that to the 1930s. Um, the the thing is, is the difference is, is that it just got bigger and bigger. And in the 90s, mm-hmm. um, people on the left were freaking out about it. And the difference between today and then is that people on the left have capitulated for the most part. All your commenters on your site, like what? They're like, Mm. they're totally on board with all this madness. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And they they fight for it and they defend it. And we don't really have anybody who's going to rescue us from it. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. uh, And Mm. that was our only hope, you know, that that we would have the, I mean, we, there, of course, there's still Bill Maher and, you know, there are people who are outside the mainstream, but the mainstream didn't used to be like it is now, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit scary to see that even movies are becoming unwatchable because of that, you know, like you don't always want to sit down and have somebody, you know, lecture you on how to be a good Puritan. You can't sit there and redeem every female character from the past. Why would you even want to do that? Well, that's the uh, standing marching order is to, um, 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 you know, add presentism to all historical recreations. You know, that's in one way I was kind of really impressed by that um, relatively recent uh, film about um, the uh, author of um, of um, um, the Lawrence, uh, the Merle Oberon Lawrence Olivier film. Uh, that um, Wuthering uh, Heights. Wuthering Heights. Emily Bronte. Emily Bronte. Did you happen to see that little film that was about her, mm-hmm. about her creative process? She died fairly young, but it was a pretty interesting actress. It's one of the few films that, um, you know, paid attention to a, a really worthy artist uh, from the 19th century. Uh, anyway, and they didn't do the whole woke thing. I mean, she, from what I gathered, from I didn't even see it. Uh, but I, when I gather, they did a reasonably decent job of of recreating her and her era, and it was kind of like uh, Merchant Ivory in a way. So. Yeah, that's good. That's what I. One of the things I liked about Full Time is that you know movies I watch now, even horror movies, whatever it is from the left, you can always mm-hmm. you can always sniff out the woke. It's always in there somewhere. Right. Um, and in this one, it wasn't. And I was like, wow, that's really weird because it's just, mm. it's just a story about a person, you know? Uh, if something like 
full-time were to be made here about a struggling mom and they didn't do it the usual stuff that they do with every damn film these days it would be stunning and i think that people would be would be pretty flattened uh with 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 they would be astonished that that someone had made a film like this that didn't hit the usual political beats and make the usual political points that they're making. Well, that's that's why people responded to Top Gun Maverick so much is because they, you know, if they make this stuff, people will appreciate it, but they don't seem to be willing to do that. That they just don't want to. They keep wanting to foist this crap on us. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why. But listen, right. tell me about Bo is Afraid since I haven't got to see it yet, and I know you did see it. It's absolutely see what it, when I have a problem with films about unlikable or characters who I don't relate to um, my my I, I almost blame myself if I try to invest in them and find something about them that is um, you know something I, that I find is relatable in my personal experience uh, and if I can't find something I tend to dislike the film because I really want that that connection but what happened is that when, with Bo and with Bo was afraid which is a crazy hallucinatory Fellini satiricon type film. It does not follow anything that you would call logic or, 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 or a story that makes any sense. It's, it's, and I just gave myself over to it. That the hell was trying to relate to this guy. I'm just going to be on, on, uh, on Ari's level and just go with his imagination. And if you can just do that, I think it's a trip. I mean, I really had a good time with it. I didn't have a pleasant time. It's not enjoyable exactly, <laughs> but it is, fascinating and it's one of the rare times that i have felt that way about something that's so imaginary so imaginative and so and so kind of fleeny-esque in its imaginations uh you know he fleeny would go anywhere as you know he's a very you know kind of eight and a half that was a very hallucinatory film in some respects so this is one of those but it's even crazier and i and i really respected that he uh, that Ari Aster had the uh, support of, from A24, who I, I don't relate to because of what they did with everything everywhere all at once. But I like this so much more than everything. I mean, I didn't care at all for that film. But this, I really respected. And I mm. and I would really urge those who are on the fence about seeing it, it's not a pleasant experience <laughs> in the way that you, most of us would, would call pleasant. But it is gripping. It, it gets you. It, it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? And it's got a fascinating sex scene with, with Parker Posey towards the end. There's a wonderful uh, performance by Patti Lupone in the third act. And she really tears it, tears loose. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. It really is. And the, the ending is like really like, whoa, it's dark and nuts. Well, can you just sort of tell me the plot? You know? Oh, I, there isn't. It isn't. It's, it, there's no plot. It's, it's, a, it's a nightmare that this guy <laughs> is going through because he wants to... Uh, visit his mom or go home to his homestead because his mom has apparently passed and he's trying to, you know, get back home. And uh, it's kind of like Wizard of Oz in a way. There's all these fantasies, all these weird things that happen. None of it really makes any sense by any standard that you and I might might adhere to. But it's but it's really, really, you know, figure just Wizard of Oz meets Flanese Sericon meets a psychotic breakdown. And it's uh, and it doesn't it doesn't stick to any story that you wouldn't the only thing that makes sense a little bit is the sex scene at the end but that's because uh, he knew parker pony posey as a young child and she knew him and they feel this rapport and that's it's you know she's she's like 54 now i think she looks pretty good actually and um i would really like 
to see her, like seeing her again. And I, I really, I just can't, I really, I'm almost flirting with the idea of seeing it again. Almost. Wow. Almost. Where, how is it going to be released? How many theaters? Is it going into the movie theater? Uh, well, it's, you know, right now it's only New York and Los Angeles. I guess, you know, they want, they wanted to build on some kind of, you know, word of mouth thing. But most people, even the people that are known to be, you know, on the braver side, they've been slamming it. A lot of people have been saying this is like career killers. This is, uh, this is, this is like awful. And that's not fair to say. It's too imaginative. It's, it's. I had seen that absolutely reprehensible uh, vampire film called um, Renfield before, and I was, I, I was so disgusted with that film, and I went into. Bo was afraid, and I said right away to myself, "Well, at least this has been made by somebody who's really intelligent. You can tell it's really well put together, very carefully produced, and uh, he's no casual filmmaker. He everything you see on the screen is there for a good reason or for his reasons anyway. And so there's a very, um, very uh, you know, it's like, wow, all right, this is a first-rate person." who made this and I I'm in good hands. And now I may not find it pleasant to watch all this stuff, but it's, he's a, he's a brilliant filmmaker. Well, really I'll tell you two things I think about that. One, there's only one Stanley Kubrick, but two, um, or Fellini. Okay. There's a one Stanley Kubrick, a one Fellini. And this guy I think wants to be in that group. It's um, not a, it's not Kubrickian. It's Fellini-esque. Fellini-esque. Okay, fine. Well, there's only one Fellini. All right. So the mm. other thing I'm thinking is that a society that has run out of things to say, run out of stories to tell, will often do something like this, will turn inward. That's what happened in the 1970s, which was why mm-hmm. there were so many great, bleak, aimless male protagonists all through the 1970s and, and the anti-heroes and stuff, because mm. it, it was a culture that had run out of things to say. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you know, this sort of masturbatory art that we're seeing now, this navel-gazing stuff that all really only serves the filmmaker and makes people kind of go in and go, wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. But, like, where does it take you? Nowhere. It, it, it seems to me these are people who are making art, but they don't know who they're making it for and they don't know what they're trying to say, which is fine because that's as valid a form of art as any other, you know? It is an art film. It really is. You can't call it anything else. And I'll tell you, the... People who I saw it with at the uh, at the Lowe's um, Tower East at the Lo- uh, Lincoln Square, sorry, the Lincoln Square. Uh, everybody was out in the lobby, you know, waiting to go into the bathroom, and I could see that people were they were just really like, "Oh my God, what is what happened?" What, I don't remember Eric's that? funny <laughs> tweets about it. <laughs> um, now I know that's the thing is like I think people in in this country now even sort of high-minded types are feeling mm-hmm. like Hollywood just assaults them every time they go to the movies, either with a lecture or with something unwatchable like that. It's like, God forbid. It's people... not unwatchable, though. I really want to emphasize that. It's very watchable if you just decide this is not a movie that I'm going to. It sounds yeah, like a, 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 a different level. It so. sounds like Mother or something like that, like a Darren Aronofsky. Yes, that's a good analogy. That's not yeah. bad. Mother. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. Which, which, I, which I had a place in my head for. I thought he was. He was he was saying something about the mob and about how ugly people are and you know I really respected what he was doing he he had command of that topic and he really went mm-hmm. for it he didn't uh, try to you know charm you or make you feel better you know 
I just thought it was amazing. So yeah, well, all right then. That's uh. You hated it, right? I didn't Motor? see it. I can't oh. comment on it, I, and I really don't know if I <laughs> if I want to see it. All you have to do is stream it. It's pretty easy to see. Yeah. What did I try to stream recently that I was so mad that I had to try to wall well, that awful movie by James Toback or whatever that? Mm-hmm. What a terrible film! Oh my! I didn't God. know that. That's commonly streaming you're saying right now i can watch it on amazon yes, or something yes okay. awful film with sienna miller who's beautiful is mm-hmm. it jay it's james toback right yep so i just feel burned by that because i was like i i can sit through pretty much anything but no i i found after watching that movie that no i can't sit through anything i don't life is too mm-hmm. precious so i turned it off after like 10 i turned it off when james toback came on the movie and starts talking to Sienna Miller about something like, get out of that. What are you doing on screen? <laughs> get out of there. You have no business in this movie. It takes place, most of it takes place in the loft, right? Doesn't oh. he come in and have a conversation with her or something? It, 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 it was like a, to me, it was like a pervy movie of a guy who was really hot for this actress and just wanted to make mm-hmm. a movie with her in it, you know? Okay. That's the vibe I got. Like, James Toback is so gross, but she's so pretty and... and they just wanted to make a movie where he gets to ogle her really close. <laughs> well, that's one way of uh, analyzing it. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with it. I just, I could only, I think that it's going to be decades before we get a generation that's prepared to tell good stories again. I don't even know if it's possible anymore, honestly. But um, let me ask you, though, just getting back to the uh, Fellini Satyricon meets Wizard of Oz thing. Those films are... Um, they're about trying to get somewhere and they're about a journey. You know, you can say it's a crazy journey, but it is a journey and it is hallucinatory. There's got, you know, if you can't find a place in your head for that kind of thing, like, and like one of the other fleet. If it's not, if it's not challenging the status quo, I'm not interested. Like, I think the thing I liked about those movies back then is that they were the 60s, it was coming out of the 60s, which were coming out of the conventional 1950s. Mm-hmm. And they challenged that convention, and that made him fascinating. I don't see mm-hmm. anybody from Ari Aster, any of these guys, challenging the woke doctrine. Not a one. Oh, he hasn't touching the woke doctrine. And if so. they did, right. I would You're be right. interested and impressed, and I would start paying attention. But they're not challenging that convention at all. They're just trying to do something within it, within an industry where they are voiceless now. However, understand that Bo's Afraid does not. Uh, in any way, endorse or wink, wink or nudge, nudge at at woke concepts or the woke theology, if you will. It doesn't play along. I know, but it if it did, I would it. be interested in it because you can't. That's like making a movie about an elephant in the room and never showing. You know, mm-hmm. making a movie with an elephant in the room and then pretending like it isn't there. Like that. This woke shit covers everything in our culture mm-hmm. right now. And so right. artists are not able to write about it or talk about it. And if they did, if they started it, that would be a subversive art. And it would be mm. interesting to me. Right. And, you know, people like Charlie Kaufman or Ethan Cohen or any of these guys, Paul Thomas Anderson, Steven Soderbergh, none of them can make movies like this. They're all too afraid. Talk about Bo is Afraid. That would have been an interesting movie. Bo is Afraid of saying a single word. Bo is Afraid mm. of making a movie lest he be thought of it. Now, Fellini could make a mm-hmm. great movie about this. Look, right. Woody Allen's uh, Stardust Memories is almost a movie like this. 
And he could make a great one like this too. Anybody who's willing to look at the truth and tell the truth, mm. that's an artist I want to pay attention to. This kind of masturbatory shit, I'm just not all that interested in. But maybe I'll take a look at it at some point. I think you really should give it three hours of your life. It's not going <laughs> to Three hours? You. Shut yeah. up. It's not three hours. It's 179 minutes. All right, this movie should have been 20 minutes. <laughs> There's no reason to go on for three just because I say it's hours. not a pleasant watch. You shouldn't dismiss it. It's 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 a it's not it's you can't not call it fascinating. It really is something. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's that's crazy. three hours. Have you ever will... seen a bad trip on 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 any hallucinogen as as I have? Yes, it's on I that have. level. You know, it does. It 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 feels like Ari Aster took something. He or he's on something, or you're on something. Yeah, and again, like, I'm old. I've seen movies like that throughout my whole life, that people have been making movies like that. David Lynch Mm -hmm. made movies like that. There's nothing new about making a surreal movie like that that's grotesque and weird and says something. I'm a lot more interested in anybody who has the courage to stare down what's happening now Mm. and start challenging it and poking at it. And if they do that, I'll be impressed. But until Mm. they do, then they're all cowards. All right. All right. All right. On that note. On that note, have a good one. And nice talking to you. Okay. Take care. All righty. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Yep. Break me down. You got a lovely face. We're going to your place. And now you got to freak me out. So loud, getting fucking late. You want me to stay, but I got to make my way. Hey, y'all crazy bitch, but you're so good. I'm on top of it when I dream. I'm doing you all night. Statues all down my back to keep me right on. Hey, y'all crazy bitch, but you're so good. I'm on top of it when I dream. I'm doing you all night. Statues all down my back to keep me right on. Just to get you face to face Hey, y'all crazy bitch But you're so good I'm on top of it when I dream I'm doing you all night Snatches all down my back To keep me right on Hey, y'all crazy bitch But you're so good I'm on top of it when I dream I'm doing you all night Snatches all down my back To keep me right on